Talk Recorded live. Okay, from the beautiful North Georgia mountains, from the beautiful South, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, May 24th, 2014, and I will be, I will be presenting Explaining 2C Line, Real 2C Line, Part 21, The Non-White Races in Biblical Eschatology, Concluded. I'm at the home of our good friends, Bruce and Nancy Bond, who I appreciate and would like to thank for their hospitality this weekend. Here we shall discuss some of the New Testament parables of Christ, which relate to his second advent. And examine how they relate to the children of Israel and the other nations and races of the world in the last days. Comparing these to some of the prophecies of the Old Testament, which we have already discussed, we shall indeed see that the attitude of Yahweh our God in relation to the other races has not changed from one testament to another. And the biggest fraud that I've seen in 2C line Christian identity these past few years has been perpetrated by Joseph November. And if you listen to him, in the Old Testament, the non-white races are beasts. And that's fine. I mean, that's a pejorative. I don't agree with them that they were created by God. But the real problem is that if you listen to him, in the New Testament, suddenly they're nations of men to be judged by their fruits. Now, come on. The first law in the Bible is kind after kind. Everything after its kind. It's repeated quite often in the opening chapters of Genesis. If a creation of God is a beast in the Old Testament, it's a beast in the New Testament. It's not a man to be judged by his works. So that, that's just a sleight of hand deceit, and it's, um, it's not going to infiltrate real 2C line Christian identity by any means, only the Jewish quarter of Christian identity would, would swallow that card. I'm going to quote from Matthew chapter 13, from verse 47, the kingdom of the net. We discussed this a couple of weeks ago in the first part of this series. And I'm going to quote mostly from the King James Version tonight, from verse 47 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Now, that word kind there is the word genos, and it means race. Which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So it shall be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth 
and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace, shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why would there be multiple kinds in the kingdom of heaven? In Luke chapter 16, in verse 16, Christ was upbraiding the Pharisees for justifying themselves. And he said that the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. In Matthew chapter 11, Christ was warning his listeners, about those who rejected his message. And he said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The parable of the net describes a bad kind of fish representing a kind of people. But if we examine the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, Yahweh created nothing which was bad. Everything that Yahweh created in Genesis chapter 1 was good. From the wisdom of Solomon, from chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, is as a little grain of the balance, yeah, as a drop of the morning dew that falls down upon the earth, but thou hast mercy upon all, for thou can do all things, and winks at the sins of men, because they should amend. For thou lovest all the things that are, and abhorrest nothing which thou hast made. For never wouldst thou have made anything if thou hast hated it. The wisdom of Solomon says that Yahweh God has hated nothing which he has made. Therefore, the bad kind of fish, which in the parable clearly represents people, the wicked from among the just, the bad kind of fish must represent something else. But they are not simply good kinds who act badly. If that were the case, the word kind, genos, which in the Greek means race, would have been absolutely unnecessary in that passage in the first place. In 1 John chapter 4, the apostle speaks of those who profess to be teachers or prophets. In his own time where he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. We have to take this and understand it in the first century context in which John wrote it because he's talking about the Greco-Roman world, and he's talking about the wheat and the tares of his time, those who rejected Christ and those who accepted him. 
we can't take this passage out of its historical context. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, those who deny Christ at the time of John. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John is not talking about disembodied spirits. He's talking about false prophets in the world at his time. Therefore, he is talking about embodied spirits. So we see here that there are people born of God. Since Adam was born of God and Adam's children, after Seth, are in his image, they too must be born of God. Yahweh said to the children of Israel, Ye are the children of Yahweh your God, in Deuteronomy chapter 14. But the spirit of error comes from the people whose origin is in the world. These are the Antichrists. John says that ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you, the spirit of Yahweh in the Adamic man, than he that is in the world. So we see two opposing groups, one born of God, who shall overcome because they are of God, and the other whose origin is in the world and who are enemies of God. Since the Adamic race is the only race recorded in Scripture as having been born of God, the origin of all the world's other races must be seriously considered. If all of the world's other nations are in the last days to be gathered against the children of Israel. And if the children of Israel are the remnant of the white race surviving today, as we actually discussed in last evening's Romans presentation, and if these other nations are the flood from the mouth of the serpent persecuting the woman of Revelation chapter 12, which we discussed here at length last week, then their origin must also be of the world and not of God. God hates nothing which he created, and everything that he created is good. Therefore, there would be multiple kinds in the net of the kingdom of heaven because the violent ones, the Antichrist Jews who were squeezing their way into that kingdom at the time of Christ, would send a flood after the woman and that is all of the peoples of these other races who are among us everywhere in Christian lands today. They are the beasts of Isaiah 56. They are the beasts of Jeremiah 31, 27. They are the caterpillars, cankerworms, pommel worms, and locusts of Joel, as we discussed here at great length in the first two segments of the series. Here we shall examine another parable to see how this all began. Again, from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. 
And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did you, sow, did you not sow good seed in your field? From whence then has it tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Will you then wish that we go gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We should not attempt to interpret this apart from the explanation of Christ himself, which is offered in that same chapter. So we will read that also. From verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came into him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend every transgression of God's law. All things that offend every product of race mixing. All things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. The good seed was sown from the time of the Garden of Eden. There the sowing of the tares was also begun. The traditional two-seed line explanation of this is that Cain represents the tares. That's the simple, narrow-minded explanation. But there was an entire good and evil in the garden as soon as Adam was planted there. The serpent was representative of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he was not the tree exclusively. The sowing of tares has continued to this day. When had the Kenites, the Rephaim, or their later descendants ever kept themselves from infiltrating Adamic nations or any other entity that they could infiltrate? The flood of the non-white races coming from the mouth of the serpent, every race-mixing event which we have experienced unto this day represents the sowing of the tares. Cain was sent outside the garden to the land of Nod. That word Nod means wandering. 
Cain was sent to the land of wandering. Wandering is allegory for error or deception. And whatever is outside of God's creation is error or deception. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was already in the garden, and the corruption of the fallen angels had already begun to happen. They fell from heaven long before Adam was placed on earth. People born of God are the people born of the race of Adam, whose seed is in them, as the Apostle John explains in his first epistle. And therefore, they cannot sin because they have an intercessor in Christ, and sin will not be imputed to them. Romans chapter 5. Sin will not be imputed to them because, as the Apostle John also explains, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the purpose of Christ is to destroy the works of the devil. People born of the world are people born of race mixing, people born of non-Adamic races, which was among the original sins of the fallen angels. Therefore, if one is not born of God, one falls into the category of the works of the devil. The Apostle Jude describes certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And by this he means those same antichrists whom John describes. If these were Adamic men, they could not have crept in unawares. They must not be Adamic men. These are those same antichrists whom John describes, born of the world and ordained for condemnation before of old. He equates these, Jude equates these to the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation who are certainly the rebellious fallen angels of Genesis chapter 12, whom Yahweh God has reserved in everlasting chains under dark of the great day. Yet, everywhere we see the judgment of the great day, described in Revelation or in biblical prophecy, we see a description of the judgment of all of the enemies of Yahweh God gathered against Israel. That includes all of the beast nations whom the satanic Jew is brought into the lands of Christendom. Jude continues to liken these interlopers to those of Sodom and Gomorrah, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. That word strange is the Greek word heteros. It means different. And calls them dreamers who defile the flesh, going after different flesh, Yes, you, you, you are defiling the flesh by producing things which Yahweh God did not create. He created the horse, as Clifton likes to say, and he created the mule, but he didn't create the ass. Or he, I'm sorry, he created the horse and created the donkey, but he didn't create the mule, which is a bastard. Jude says that these dreamers, he calls them, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Then he says that these speak evil of those things which they know not, 
but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. So we see that the Apostle Jude draws a direct connection between those who would infiltrate the kingdom of God, the fallen angels, and race mixing. And he calls those people brute beasts who have corrupted themselves in race mixing fornication. Jude continues to describe them as having gone in the way of Cain, who was a bastard, and the error of Balaam, which was the promotion of race mixing. The apostle then calls these same people spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of the winds, trees whose fruit is withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jude describes these people in this manner. But they're among us. They're spots in our feasts of charity. They're not some devil beings locked in a pit and tied out in the desert somewhere. They're not evil demons bound somewhere in heaven. The demons Judah's talking about, the spots in our feast of charity, are these other races walking amongst us, starting with the children of Cain, but not ending there because the whole flood of the serpent is the work of the devil. Jude goes on to make a reference to Enoch. Here, once again, is a quote from my paper, The Problem with Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And in that passage that, that I've quoted here before in a series, I believe, in the Enoch literature, in what is called the Book of Giants, the race of fallen angels is said to have perpetrated the corruption of species. From another edition of the Qumran Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, a new translation by Michael Wise, Martin Abegg Jr., and Edward Cook on page 247, a translation of the scroll known as 1Q23, which is a part of the Book of Giants, fragments 1 and 6, and I quote, and this is a highly fragmented scroll, and get the meaning when you read it, 200 donkeys, 200 asses, 200 rams of the flock, 200 goats, 200 beasts of the field from every animal, from every bird, for miscegenation. And in the same source, the same translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls, 4Q531, fragment 2, also a part of the Enoch literature, they defiled. They begot giants and monsters. They begot, and behold, all the earth was corrupted with its blood and by the hand of giants, which did not suffice for them. And they were seeking to devour many. The monsters attacked it. And again, the scroll known as 4Q532, column 2, fragments 1 through 6. Flesh, all monsters will be, they would arise, lacking in true knowledge, because the earth grew corrupt, mighty. They were considering from the angels upon, in the end it will perish and die. They caused great corruption in the earth. This did not suffice to, 
They will be, and, and while the scrolls are quite fragmentary, the general theme of these fragments from what is known as the Book of Giants is readily evident. A similar version of what is related here is found in 1 Enoch, in the Ethiopic Enoch, chapters 86 and 88. It is highly probable that accounts such as these the inspiration for the ancient chimera myths of both Greek and Near Eastern mythology. Enoch, whom Jude references, described fallen angels who had been the authors of miscegenation, not only with, with the daughters of men, but with all of these animals. Jude describes fallen angels who had committed fornication, and for that reason they became bound in chains of darkness, and Jude then calls them brute beasts. The Apostle Peter, in his second epistle, talks to these same people. He compares them to the angels that sinned, whom God cast down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Then Peter calls them natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. And he also says of them, like Jude did, that they are spots and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Spots in our feast of charity. Go to your local restaurant and look around at the blacks and the Mexicans and all the other spots in our feast of charity. Go to your local community gathering and look around and see the same thing. Sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. And Peter also proceeds to explain that they had followed in the way of Balaam, which was fornication and race mixing. Then he says that these are wells without water, they don't have the Adamic spirit that the Adamic man has imparted to him by Yahweh. Wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. It is clear from both Peter and Jude that the spots which are among us, those of the other races, feasting themselves at our expense, are evil beasts and have their origin with the original rebellion of the fallen angels by which the fallen angels had corrupted Yahweh's creation. These are those born of the world, and they were not born of God, therefore they are made to be taken and destroyed. As it says in the wisdom of Solomon, Yahweh hates nothing which he created, but the works of men are vanity. Neither men nor angels have the power to create, but they certainly have the will to corrupt the creation of God, and that is the works of the devil which Christ shall indeed destroy. My detractors hate me for pointing these things out. Division on this issue is the primary reason why I had to split 
with Eli James, I'm sorry, with Joe November, who at that time I thought was Eli James, over three years ago. This issue today is the primary reason why Jeremy Visser and Martin Lindstedt are trolling on my forums and chat rooms as I speak. They are all trying to turn Christian identity into a circus so that they can continue to obfuscate the clear racial message of Scripture. They have really stepped up their trolling and damage control since I did the Sons of Bastards program, which exposed all of their stupid asses last month. They want to imagine that somehow God created the other races, and therefore the other races possibly have some opportunity for salvation or preservation. They hate me because they themselves have an agenda to corrupt the racial truths found in the Christian identity interpretation of Scripture. My detractors, and especially November, Visser, and Lindstedt, but screwy Dewey's in on it quite often also, all invent simplistic and distorted versions of these things which I have elucidated, and that is because they only want to corrupt and pervert these things. They cannot fight the truth of Scripture, so they contrive lies and pretend to debate the lies. For instance, Visser has recently claimed that Fink says the fallen angels are Mexicans, and that is a lie. Fink has said many times that originally the fallen angels must have been white. Of course they were white. They were angels. It is the apostles of Christ, as we have just seen in Peter and Jude, who tell us that they went off into race mixing, and now they are spots in our feasts of charity and evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. So how could one imagine that they're still white? Traditionally, two-seed-line Christian identity is taught that the Rephaim and the Kenites descended from fallen angels. And that and it is evident that the Canaanites mixed themselves with those, and later in history, the Canaanites also mixed themselves with others. And some of them were known as Jews, and some of them are known as Arabs, as well as their having gone elsewhere, adopting other names. And it can be demonstrated that the Mexicans are in part descended from Jews and Arabs. Clifton has a lengthy paper on his website, emmaheiser.christagenia.org showing that many of the Mexicans descended from Jews and Arabs. And this can certainly be proven historically and with genetic science. Then the Mexicans, if they descended from Jews and Arabs, and the Jews and Arabs descended from Canaanites, and the Canaanites descended from Rephaim and Kenites, he descended from the fallen angels, and my detractors are stuck on stupid. The same thing can be said of Negroes and most of the world's other non-white races. The Arabs were in India and in the South Pacific Islands, as well as in Southeast Asia, as early as 700 B.C. And for over 2,000 years, they were mixing themselves with all of those people. And they were bringing Negroes from Africa to China in the slave trade as early as 700 B.C. Yet race mixing and the corruption of the creation of God go back much further than that 
to the very fallen angels who were indeed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My detractors say that Fink is making Christian identity look stupid. But Fink is really only teaching the scripture and history. They are afraid of looking stupid only because they are stupid. Jeremy Visser, Joe November, Martin Linstead, y'all are stupid. Let us review two verses from this explanation of the parables of the wheat and the tares from Matthew chapter 13. From verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now let us read from Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. The first two verses of this passage are ignored by universalists and especially by universalists in Christian identity who have no excuse. They have no excuse to ignore Obadiah 15 and 16, but they have. For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen, or all the nations in Hebrew. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return return upon mine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen, or all the nations, drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken it. The house of Esau is prophesied to be eliminated in Obadiah. Obadiah 18, these so-called two seed line, so-called pastors, these clowns, they love to quote Obadiah 18. However, the nations which drink upon Yahweh's holy mountain, and Yahweh's holy mountain are indeed the children of Israel, they also shall be as though they had not been. All the non-Adamic peoples shall go into the lake of fire at the second advent of Christ. My detractors claim that other CI teachers did not teach these things, and they are liars. I'm going to read a passage from Bertrand Compare's sermon in relation to this very parable from Matthew, in a sermon entitled, Gathering the Tares. This sermon is available in audio, in the original audio, and in text at christogenia.org, compare.christogenia.org. This gathering, I'm quoting Bertrand Compare, this gathering of the individual tares among us is exactly parallel to the similar gathering of the beast nations in this same judgment. That's Bertrand Compare telling us that the beast nations are judged in the same judgment as the tares. That's Bertrand Compare. That's not Fink. That's not Emma Heiser. Joe November is a liar. Jeremy Visser is a clown. Martin Linstead, 
He's a child molester. This gathering of the individual tares among us is exactly parallel to the similar gathering of the beast nations in this same judgment. Yahshua prophesied it in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34, and verse 41. I'm still quoting Compare. And Compare goes on to say, quoting the passage, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And all the, um, I'm sorry, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he shall say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Of course, and I'm still quoting Compare, but he's done quoting the New Testament in this passage. And he goes on to say, of course, there must be a division, separation, and discrimination, to say it plainly. This is the purpose for which Yahshua came. In Luke 12, 51, Yahshua says, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. So Compare said in his paper, in his sermon, Gathering the Tares, that the judgment, of the, the judgment of the beast nations is the same as the judgment of the tares. And Compare also said that they will go into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we see that Compare understood the same thing which we do. He used a different terminology. And Compare saw the millennium as something yet in our future, and I can't agree with him on that, and I demonstrated that last week. However, the final result and the Compare's final conclusions were still the same, that the beast nations, which was his term for the non-Adamic nation, exact fate as the tares of the field, and that in the end, they would all end up in the lake of fire. That is what Obadiah prophecies. Yet clowns like Joe November tell us that the beast nations were created by God and will go back to where they came from. That's what he says. The bastards will be judged for their works, having a possibility of salvation. Yet bastards are really in the category of all things that offend. We have recordings of November making those assertions and Jeremy Visser has heard those recordings, yet he agrees with Joe November. Imagine that. Bastards must fall into the category of all things that offend in Matthew 13:41, because bastards are produced through a transgression of Yahweh's law, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today, Joe November, Jeremy Visser, Martin Lindstedt, their railings against Clifton Emmerheiser and I, and their trolling of our chat rooms and, and other venues, all make it evident that the weeping and gnashing of teeth has, at least in some degree, already begun. With this, we shall examine the other parable which Compre mentioned in that little excerpt, that of the sheep and the goats, which Compre called 
the gathering of the beast nations. From Matthew chapter 25, from the King James Version. From verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. The Son of Man shall separate the nations as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. All the sheep go on the right. All the goats go on the left. But a shepherd does not divide sheep from goats by asking them or by determining if they've been good or bad. Rather, this is clearly a racial division. The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats on sight. The Bible tells us who the sheep are, and since there are only two categories, everybody else must be a goat. And it is all nations or all people groups which are gathered. That Greek word for nations, as we explain in the second segment of the series, that Greek word for nations refers to, to people groups and also to animal groups. So it refers to both beast nations as well as to Israelite nations. Continuing with Matthew chapter 25 from verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the beginning, the sheep nations were going to be saved. Doesn't matter what they did. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stronger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw thee sick, or in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it, Unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So the sheep are only judged by how they treated the sheep. They're not judged by how they treated the goats. They're not judged by how they conducted rituals, the works of men's hands. The sheep are judged by how they treated the sheep. The sheep are judged for the way they treated the sheep, as Christ says, as ye have done it under one of the least of these my brethren. And he who hates his brother is a murderer. Continuing with Matthew 25, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me. Ye visited me not. 
Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when, we, when saw we thee and hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The goats are judged by how they treated the sheep, and they are all condemned. When Christ judged the sheep, he said, As ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, here it is recorded that he said to the goats, and as much as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. The term least of these remains a reference to the least of these, my brethren. The goats are judged by how they treated the sheep. The goat nations are destined for the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And we even saw Bertrand Compare agree with that when he said, this gathering of the individual tares among us is exactly parallel to the similar gathering of the beast nation, same judgment, the goat nations, which are all non-Adamic peoples, are headed to the lake of, to the lake of fire in the same fate as the devil and his angels, because they are the works of the devil which Christ came to destroy. While the Adamic man shall not be imputed with sin so long as his seed is in him, as the apostle explains in 1 John chapter 3, the apostle also says, he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, as Christ said in Matthew chapter 15, in relation to they who disputed with him, every plant which my heavenly Father had not planted shall be rooted up. Our interpretation of these passages is in accord with the interpretations we offered here previously concerning Revelation chapter 20. Satan, gathering all the nations against the children of Israel. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, once again, Gog and Magog, gathering all the nations against the children of Israel. Our interpretation of these passages is in accord with the interpretations of the gathering of all nations by Satan against the children of Israel, which was prophesied to happen in the last days and which we are certainly suffering now. Our interpretation of, this pas of these passages is in accord with Psalm 118, verses 10 and 11, a messianic prophecy. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of Yahweh will I destroy them. They compass me about, yeah, they compass me about, but in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. Yahweh does not change, and any interpretation of these parables concerning his coming, which are offered by Christ himself, cannot be distorted 
so as to somehow conflict with Old Testament prophecies of that very same event. Our interpretation of these passages is in accord with Obadiah and with the passages in Jeremiah where Yahweh states that he will make a full end of all Israel was scattered, but he will not make a full end of Israel. Knowing these things, can you really be a Christian identity pastor and promote any sort of communion whatsoever with other races, with non-white races? If you do, you're a fraud. You're just a universalist fraud. Can you be any sort of Christian identity pastor and accept or teach people that they can accept bastards? If you do, you're a fraud. You're working for the enemy. You're working against the people of God. Christ said, he who is not scattering, he who is not gathering with me scatters. If you're trying to gather bastards to the sheepfold, you're not gathering with Christ. He only came to gather the children of Israel. If you're trying to gather non-Israelites and bastards to the sheepfold, or if you're approving of the presence of bastards and non-Israelites in the sheepfold, then you're doing the work of the devil by helping to gather the non-white races against the children of Israel. That's what you're doing, Jeremy Visser, Martin Lindstead, Eli James. That's what you're doing. You're doing the work of the devil, and Christ is going to undo you. With this, we shall examine the fall of Mystery Babylon and the marriage supper of the Lamb. From Revelation 17, I'm not going to read all three of these chapters and, and examine a good portion of them. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show thee, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the spirit, in the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of Names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This beast, this beast is the system of globalism, and the beast gets its power from the dragon. The woman in the wilderness is the same woman who ran off into the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12. The children of Israel where she was nourished with the gospel for a long time. Now, however, in Revelation 17, 
John being taken back to the wilderness to see her once again, she has joined herself to the beast in her whoredoms. The whoredoms are the system of globalism and egalitarianism, which has caused her to have intercourse with the beast and all the world's other races, and therefore Satan the world's other races against the children of Israel. These are the same things for which the children of Israel were chastised in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and especially in Hosea and in Amos. Revelation 17, 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must, and the beast that was, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength under the beast. I've, I, I've explained this as fully as I can in my Revelation series three years ago and in Christreich and all the texts and podcasts are available at Christagenia.org. For now, I only want to focus on this racial issue. The seven mountains are, are the empires of antiquity. The eighth beast, it can be demonstrated, Gog, is world Jewry, represented by the international monetary, political, and religious systems which we have today. Basically, ecumenism, globalism, egalitarianism. Revelation 17, 14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Even though the whore is sitting on the beast, the horns, which are ten kings, which are <laughs> ruling over the beast, shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The beast makes war with the lamb by destroying the people of God, the Israelite nations of Christendom. This has had many manifestations throughout medieval and modern history. The whore has joined herself to the beast, and the beast devours the whore. And that's exactly what we see going on today in modern society. The children of Christendom 
the children of Israel have joined themselves to this Jewish banking system, to these international Jews and their globalism and world egalitarianism and democracy and ecumenism, and the beast is devouring the whore. It's exactly where we are today. Revelation 17, 17 explains why. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. For their sin, Israel would be ruled by the beast. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is in this period that the prophecies concerning the gathering of all the beast or goat nations against Israel would take place. It is in this period where we hear the cry in Isaiah, Arise, ye beasts of the field, kill and devour. It is in this period when the house of Israel would be sown with the seed of man and the seed of beasts. In verse 18, the woman is that city which reigns over the kings of the earth because the woman, having joined herself to the beast, thereby becomes one with the beast. And this is absolutely true of the nations of Christendom today. Revelation 18.1 And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Tell me that doesn't describe New York, Chicago, Detroit, Toledo, Youngstown, Atlanta. The nations of Christendom come to rule over the kings of the earth, and they themselves, joined to the beast, become havens for all of the world's other races, the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Remember the prophecies against the Arab nations, that devils and cormorants and these other unclean birds would live there, owls, satyrs? Well, now the nations of Christendom have also become the habitation for these same exact creatures, these Arab bastards, these Jews, these Negroes, these Latin American squat monsters, these Mongoloid Asians. They are the devils and the whole, they are the devils. They are every foul spirit. They are every unclean and hateful bird. And they inhabit all of our Christian lands today. Therefore, Christ says in Matthew chapter 13, another parable putting forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. That's exactly what he said. And those birds of the air are every foul spirit 
and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. He didn't necessarily say it was good. Revelation 18.3, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Go back to Obadiah 15 and 16 and see that all those nations are going to drink from the cup of Yahweh's wrath and they're going to be as though they had not been. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. As Paul also tells Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, on which account come out from the midst of them and be separated, says the prince, and do not be joined to the impure. All of Israel is purified by Yahshua Christ on the cross. And I will admit you, we should not be joined to the impure. Those who were not cleansed by Yahshua Christ on the cross, we must come out from among them. Israelites who refuse to come out from the other races shall be punished along with them. Do you really want that nigger in your bed at the time of the Lord's coming? Do you really want that squat monster son-in-law in your daughter's room at the time of the Lord's coming? Think about that. Do you really want bastard grandchildren at the time of the Lord's coming? Revelation 18.5. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. And the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. The children of God are called to partake in the punishment by which mystery Babylon is judged. This is when Christians shall hear the call prophesied in Micah chapter 4 which is also directly related to the gathering of the nations against Israel. From verse 11, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of Yahweh, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto Yahweh, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. The balance of Revelation chapter 18 clearly relates mystery Babylon and the fornication of the whore to global trade and merchandise. Verse 20 then says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God. Revelation chapter 19 then relates the second advent of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb to the same judgment of the enemies of Christ and the goat nations gathered against Israel. We shall only read a few verses. We won't read the whole chapter. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto Yahweh our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her.
is avenge the blood of his servants at her hand. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the great, the, the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast into a lake of fire, burning, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. In Revelation chapter 20, after all of the nations gathered against Israel are destroyed, we are told, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yet if the scripture is the book of the race of Adam, and if Christ is the word of life, the word made flesh, therefore his gospel must be the book of life. And who is written into the book of life besides the children of Israel? Therefore everyone else must go into the lake of fire. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we find that only the children of Israel remain, along with the nations of the wider Adamic race, who even Christ attests in Luke chapter 11, for instance, shall be resurrected. Revelation 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, and Isaiah is not talking about a sea monster, in that day, 
Yahweh, with his soaring great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. The serpent, represented today by the Edomite Jew, is indeed in the sea today, which represents the mass of the world's peoples. The revelation promises greater. Yes, Leviathan will be slain, but in Revelation chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. The only people remaining from this point forward are the children of Israel and the Adamic nations. I will be here. That'll be the end of my presentation on the other races in biblical eschatology. I hope in these last three presentations that I've made it perfectly clear. First, that all of the other races are counted amongst those nations gathered against the children of Israel, whom Yahweh our God, in one way or another, is going to eliminate, as it's promised in Obadiah 15 and 16. As it's promised in Ezekiel 38 and 39. As it's promised in Revelation 19 and 20. As it's promised in Jeremiah verse 11. And Jeremiah repeats that, I believe, in chapter 46. As it's promised in the 118th Psalm at his second advent. These scriptures, we can't disregard these scriptures. We can't laugh at these. Not be ashamed of these scriptures. If your pastor claims to be Christian identity, and he's ashamed of these, these scriptures, then he is a liar and a fraud. It's that simple. He's a fraud, and he's trying to perpetrate a fraud. But God won't be defrauded. You can't defraud or rob God, as the scripture says in Hosea. God will not be robbed. That's crazy. He certainly will not be robbed. Some of those clowns are trolling this forum right now. It's a shame if anybody that's truly Christian identity gives these people any ounce of respectability whatsoever. Not a shred. They don't deserve one shred of respectability. The party's over for these clowns claiming to be Christian identity. They're all exposed. Praise Yahweh. I will be here next Friday night, Yahweh willing, with a continuation of Romans chapter 7. I'm not sure what I'm going to do here next Saturday. I'll announce it at Christagenia.org during the week. Good night.